a scenario that we've all wrestled with, and maybe you're wrestling with today, you are aware of someone's life, could be a family member, friend, classmate, coworker, neighbor, or stranger. You're aware of a need in their life. And so you wrestle with, should I help? Should I get involved? It could be a long-term situation, and if you're married, maybe you've had long, deep, emotional conversations, even arguments about whether or not you should become involved in that situation. It could be a decision that you made on the way to church this morning. You're driving, and you stopped at an intersection, and a person was standing there with a cardboard sign, and you made a decision. Am I going to get involved? Here are some things we think about. How much time or money am I willing to give to get involved? Am I even responsible? Am I responsible to respond because it's my neighbor, because it's my friend, because it's a person who's my employee at work? Am I responsible because it's my mom? The answer there is actually yes. We think about, is there someone who's closer to the situation that should be responding and they're not responding and now I'm aware of it and because they're not doing what they're supposed to do, should I step in and get involved? We also think about if I respond, am I going to be reinforcing a destructive behavior? Am I going to be affirming something in their life that is destructive? The question is really what message does my response send to others? And because we're being real, because we're transparent with each other this morning, we're also thinking about, do I want to? Do I want to? Those are like all people questions. Those aren't just Christian people questions. Those are all people questions. Those of us this morning who would say that we are followers of Christ, we ask another question, and maybe we would even say this is the most important question. We, we ask ourselves, how does my relationship with Jesus Christ inform my response to this need that I see in front of me or this need that I have become aware of. And so this is where we rejoin our summer Sunday morning teaching series, Questions Jesus Asked. We kicked it off last Sunday, and what we said is that many of us have thought about if we were given an opportunity, what question or questions might we ask Jesus? This summer, we're flipping it around, and instead of thinking about what questions you and I might ask Jesus, we're asking, what might Jesus be asking us? Because if we look at the accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we see is that when people came to Jesus and asked him a question, he was far more likely to respond with a question of his own than just giving a statement. Jesus knew this, questions have greater potential to compel change than statements. Questions have greater potential to compel change than statements. We said that there is a place for everybody in this message series, no matter where you are in your faith journey, because if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, people who were close to Jesus, he asked them questions. Jesus asked questions to people who were curious about him. Jesus asked questions to people who were skeptical of Jesus. People, uh, Jesus asked questions to those who were even critical of him and who he was and what he was all about. So no matter where you are in that range, you have a place in this conversation. What Jesus asked then, he's asking us today. 
The Questions Jesus Asks series is challenging us to take a look inside and grow closer to God through our answers to the questions Jesus asked that reveal the condition of our heart. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 for just a couple minutes this morning. Luke chapter 10, I invite you to open up or power up your word. And we're going to see how Jesus responded to a question about who we are responsible to help. And the capstone of Jesus' response is not a, it's not a statement, Jesus asks a question, a question Jesus asked. And so we just talked about all these questions that can bounce around in our mind when we're thinking about whether or not to get involved in that situation. When we wrap up today, I want to give you a question that you can walk out of here with that may be a question that supersedes everything else and will bring great clarity to that thing that you're wrestling with about whether or not to get involved. The person who brings this question today to Jesus, it's not a close follower of Christ. We would be generous if we described him as curious. In fact, he would fall into that category of skeptical or even critical of Christ. Why do we know that? Because Luke writes that the question asker's motive is to put Jesus to the test. He wants to put Jesus to the test. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So it's a lawyer who stands up and asks Jesus a question. Now, lawyer then and there means something different than lawyer here and now. This type of lawyer is an expert or an interpreter or a teacher of religious law. This is not like a prosecutor or a defense attorney or a personal injury lawyer whose picture may be advertised on the side of a city bus. Not that kind of lawyer. These guys are interesting, these religious lawyers, because they have the responsibility for stewarding, preserving, studying, and applying the religious law to everyday life. Their job was to tell everyone else how to follow the religious law. Their job was to make sure that everyone else was following the religious law. Their role was to make sure that everyone else was following the rules. So this is someone who you really would want to invite to a party. Their reputation was for placing impossible burdens on the shoulders of everybody else without doing anything to help them. So in the accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are many events recorded where a religious lawyer interacted with Jesus. And what we see, this common thread, is that the religious lawyers show persistent, ongoing opposition to Jesus. So this interaction starts with the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to the question with a question. Verse 26, Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This is so good. And the lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Just as I was able to rattle that off right there, the lawyer, even without a Bible, was potentially able to just rattle off exactly what I just said. Why? Because this is in the Old Testament law. And as a steward of the law, he would know this, that this is what's written in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's also in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19, 18. 
So these are possibly, even likely, verses that this lawyer would have recited many times when he was in religious ceremonies. He knew them. Memorizing scripture is good, but just because you can recite it doesn't mean that you're living it. Knowing what's right is not the same as doing what's right. You didn't have to come in here today to know that. You know, we know that, right? Knowing what's right is not the same as doing what's right. In the beginning of the conversation, Luke tells us the lawyer wants to put Jesus to the test. The lawyer positions himself as the expert. The lawyer positions himself as the test giver. If you are the test giver, you get to determine who passes and who fails the test. But when Jesus responded to the question with a question, <laughs> this is so good. I love Jesus for so many reasons. This is just one of them. Jesus turns it around, and he goes from the one that's being tested to giving the test. And this is great. <laughs> the, verse 28, Jesus looks at the lawyer and says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And I just wonder if for a moment the lawyer like, has to just go through his mind, like, what just happened? I was asking a question. I was testing Jesus. Then I, now he's telling me that I answered correctly. When did I become the one who was giving or receiving the test? The lawyer, even if he's derailed for a moment, he gets right back at it, and his first question goes to a second question. But the lawyer, this is verse 29, but the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So it's already been established that it is essential to love God and love your neighbor. Why? Why? Why would the lawyer ask, who is my neighbor? What is he really getting at with that question? Who is my neighbor? He's asking, who am I responsible to love? Or even a step further, what is probably really the question he's asking, who am I excused from loving? Where does my responsibility end? The lawyer's question calls for boundaries of obligation. The lawyer's question calls for boundaries of obligation. Because you see, the accepted, accepted interpretation of the Old Testament law was that Jewish people were responsible for caring for, showing compassion, showing kindness, showing love to other Jewish people. The accepted understanding of this scripture or this law, love your neighbor as yourself, was really love other Jewish people as yourself. So here we are today. The view of the religious elites then was that God excused them from showing compassion to people who were different racially or different in their religious beliefs. Today, we don't want to identify with the lawyer. The lawyer is like the bad guy in the story. But if we're really honest, this is just between you and me, if we're really honest, there may be maybe, is just a little bit of the lawyer in each and every one of us, where we have either out loud or more likely thought about boundaries to who we are responsible to love, who we are obligated to show kindness to. If we're honest, there's a little lawyer in us when we think about the questions, would we ever withhold compassion from a person because of their race? 
Would we ever withhold compassion from a person because of their politics? Would we ever withhold compassion from a person because of their nationality, immigration status, or sexuality? And maybe we would say it's not hatred, it's not like that, it's outside of our comfort zone. It just got a little bit uncomfortable in here, so let's just let the air out. As we think about, honestly, have we ever intentionally or unintentionally put up boundaries that would close us off from people who are in need of our compassion? So back to the, this event, the question on the table, the question on the floor right now from the lawyer that Jesus is going to answer, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers the question with what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. This is one of those historical accounts from the Bible that even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, even if you're still exploring what it means to be a follower of Christ, you know the story. Like people know the story of the Good Samaritan. We talk about someone who stops to help someone on the side of I-5 as a Good Samaritan. Verse 30. Jesus replied, this is in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? This is what Jesus says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. You may know this story, you may have known it from when you were just little. Have you ever noticed this? Jesus intentionally gives no details about the attack survivor's religion, his race, hometown, or any other details. Now, the original audience may have assumed that the attack man is Jewish and that the attackers were not Jewish. They may have assumed that, but Jesus never says that. What's important is that the man is attacked, robbed, and abandoned on the side of the road, left for dead. And so the question, everyone listening in that original audience is, is anyone, is anyone going to help this person? Well, we know that two people with religious titles pass by without helping, a priest and a Levite. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them today. The important piece is that both of these people have the opportunity to show love, compassion, mercy, kindness, but they just go ahead and move on. These are two people who would be held up highly in Jewish culture and society, and they choose not to respond. They choose to pass by the guy who's attacked, injured, robbed, and left for dead. The story pattern is familiar. If you hear a story like this, and the first two don't get it right, then what do you naturally assume? The hero is going to be the third person. And so everyone in that original audience, they're thinking, who is the hero going to be? If not the priest, if not the Levite, who is going to be the hero? And if you are what we might consider to be a common person, maybe you're getting excited in the moment. You're thinking, well, if the hero isn't the priest, if the hero isn't the Levite, the hero is certainly going to be a, just a, a Jewish commoner. It's going to be a Jewish carpenter. It's going to be a Jewish mason. The hero is going to be a Jewish um, farmer. The hero is going to be just an everyday, blue-collar Jewish person. And you're waiting for who that hero is going to be. And then Jesus says this. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. And if there was silence in this moment, if there was a pause there, there would have been silence in this moment. 
when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, knowing that the third person is going to be the hero, any religious elites that were listening, and perhaps most of the Jewish crowd, as soon as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, everyone who's listening is thinking, please do not make a Samaritan the hero. Do not go there. Jesus, do not make the Samaritan a Samaritan the hero of the story. So when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the attack survivor was, and when the Samaritan saw him, the Samaritan had compassion. See, most or even all Jewish people of the time had some level of hatred for the Samaritans, and this went back generations. When the Jewish people moved to the area where the Samaritans lived, they intermarried, they mixed races. Over time, they mixed religions. And the Samaritan religious tradition became this thing that was kind of half Judaism. It was kind of Jewish, but it was also idol worship. So the, the Jewish, those who viewed themselves as purely Jewish, they really looked down. They resented the Samaritan people, even despised the Samaritan people. So as soon as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, he has everyone's attention. If this would help, it would be like standing outside of Research Stadium in Corvallis. And there's all kinds of people around you. They have their Oregon State Beavers sweatshirts, hats, little uh, number one finger, foam finger. And the person is telling a story. And in front of all the Oregon State fans, the hero is a duck. That's kind of like what's going on here. Many or most ancient religious Jewish people would cringe at the possibility of a Samaritan being the hero of the story. Verse 34, the Samaritan went to the attack survivor and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then the Samaritan set the attack survivor on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Remember, this all goes back to what question? Who is my neighbor? What do the Samaritan, what does the Samaritan man have in common with the attack survivor? They were in the same place at the same time. That's it. Proximity is what the attack survivor and compassionate Samaritan have in common. The Samaritan is compassionate because the attack victim needs compassion. That's what Jesus highlights. The Samaritan is not compelled to help because they have the same beliefs, but they might. The Samaritan is not compelled to help because they're from the same city, but they might be from the same city. The Samaritan is not compelled because, to help because they go to the same church, or because they graduated from the same high school. The Samaritan is compassionate because the attack victim needs compassion. Verse 35. And the next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan's journey is disrupted for a day. It costs him some money, costs him some time. I want to just draw something out, out, and this is a little message within the message. And I think this is maybe only for one person who's here today, but I believe that this is for someone. The burden of compassion, if you are a caregiver, you can be made to feel 
Like if you're not with that person you're serving all the time, giving them everything you have, then you're falling short. Maybe you've been made to feel guilty because you took a vacation, because you did something fun, because you spent time with friends, because you honored a work commitment. Instead of being with a person who has made it clear that they expect you to be there all the time. If you've walked the journey, you know what I'm talking about. This is called caregiver guilt. Many of you have been made to feel guilty. I want us to see clearly today, if this is for you, the Samaritan served compassionately. He's the hero of the story, and yet there comes a point when he moves on, when he goes on to other responsibilities. And Jesus doesn't condemn him for that. So if you are the one who's coming in here today and there's some level of caregiver guilt that you are feeling, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be, and I believe that God would want you to experience some freedom from those emotions that you may experience that are weighing you down. Okay. I said that was for just one person. The rest of it is for all of us, okay? So come back, everybody else. Our teaching theme is questions Jesus asked. We said that we're going to see how Jesus responded to a question about who we are responsible to help. And we're going to see that the capstone of that response, it's not a statement, it's a question, a question Jesus asks. This all goes back to who is my neighbor, then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then Jesus asks this question, verse 36, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? When the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor, maybe he's hoping that Jesus will say, your neighbor, your neighbor, this is anyone who is Jewish who lives in your city. If that's what maybe people in the crowd were hoping Jesus would say, he blows that all up. And instead of making the hero a Jewish friend, the hero is a Samaritan stranger. Verse 37, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy, which is the right answer because Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. When it comes to showing compassion, we may most want or feel most comfortable showing love to someone we know, someone who looks like us, someone who worships like us, someone who votes like us, someone who cheers for the same team that we cheer for. Jesus challenges his original audience then, and he challenges us now by making the hero of the story not a Jewish friend, but a Samaritan stranger. So what we can pull from this is that anyone who has the potential to be the recipient of our kindness, of your kindness, is your neighbor. <laughs> anyone who has the potential to be the recipient of your kindness is your neighbor. Many of us, as we've been talking about this today, we're thinking about a specific situation, and we're running the filter. We're running whatever we're facing in the past, what we faced in the past, what we're facing now. So maybe we anticipate something coming. We're running that all through the filter of what Jesus has spoken today. And we're thinking, how does my relationship with Christ shape my response? 
What is the need? What's it going to cost? How much time? Am I even responsible? Is there someone closer to the situation who should be helping and they're not helping? If I do help, am I going to be reinforcing or enabling a destructive behavior or lifestyle? What message does my help send? All these questions. When the lawyer identifies the neighbor as being the one who shows mercy, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do that. Go and show mercy. If we simply look today at what Jesus instructs us to do, I want to give you one more question, and this is not to make it more confusing. I hope this actually makes it simpler. Because maybe this question is the only question that we need to ask. Here's a question you can ask yourself if you've had some tension in your marriage because you've been debating, should we even get involved with that? Should we keep, should we stay involved? Here's the question. What does mercy demand? What does mercy demand? And this actually may be freeing because you may be looking at a situation and the answer may be nothing. But if we are going to go and do likewise, if we ask the question, what does mercy demand, being in the same place at the same time, maybe all that brings you or I together with someone who is in need, we may have nothing else in common. And we know there is often a cost, a time cost and a money cost. We've all... We've all been there. We become aware of a need. We hear about a need and we think this is not the right time. This is totally inconvenient. Someone else is definitely responsible. Someone else who's closer should be helping. There may be something about the person who's in need that makes me absolutely uncomfortable. And it's not hatred, it's just outside of my comfort zone. And so this may be a moment for a quick prayer. Father, Jesus affirmed the one who showed mercy. He said, go and do likewise. Father, what does mercy demand in this moment? Father, show me what it means right now to go and do likewise. We love Wednesday nights at People's Church. We have discipleship groups for every age. If you, many of you I see on Wednesday nights, keep coming. If you've just started coming, come back. If you've never been to Wednesday night discipleship groups, I really want you to come. I want you to be invited. Jennifer and I, our family, we love Wednesday nights. We're always here unless we're on vacation or out of town. We love Wednesday nights. Here's why I bring this up. Because Jennifer and I like to, join in different groups. We like to be aware of what's going on on our campus. And we, I want to tell you, church, if you're not already aware, we have some amazing, talented, gifted, young people who are teaching on this campus. God is raising up some amazing leaders from this campus. Cameron, your word on Wednesday night in youth, I've heard so many people come up to me saying, you have to listen to the message. It was so good. Way to go. <laughs> Jennifer and I went upstairs to the PC College group and Hamilton taught. 
Grandma and Grandpa, you guys would be so proud. <laughs> Hamilton taught, and uh, he brought a powerful word that just connects to what we're talking about today. When Hamilton was speaking, I bet this was happening down in youth when you were speaking, Cameron. I always bring a notebook. I never assume that just because I have the title pastor that I'm going to know everything. I, I actually anticipate that when someone else teaches that God is going to say something to me. I always bring my notebook. And uh, Jack, when Hamilton's teaching, I was just writing down like crazy. He had so many just good things that he was pouring into my life, powerful things, things that made me stop and question, like, where's my heart in this? I want to share two quotes. Hamilton said, we can be so offended by someone that we cannot bring ourselves to help them. It's possible for one person to look at another person and decide, I'm so offended by something about you that that actually is going to prevent me from serving you. We can be so offended by someone that we cannot bring ourselves to help them. And Hamilton also shared this. The enemy wants you to stay offended to keep you from speaking life into their life. The enemy wants you to stay offended, to keep you from being a light in their darkness. Wow. Let's be a church that commits or recommits that there is going to be nothing about another human being that is going to hold us back from showing kindness, from showing mercy, from showing compassion and love to a person in desperation. Let's commit or recommit as a church that there is nothing about another human being that is going to hold us back from speaking life into someone who needs to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. And what we're really saying, let's strive, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, new believer, believer for decades, no matter where we are in that journey, let's strive to be more like Jesus each and every day. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus walked toward the messy situation. Jesus went to the broken situation. Do you know that there were many scenarios that we read about in, in the Word where there was a person that offended everybody else? Everyone else turned their back, but Jesus went toward them. Jesus elevated the children. Jesus elevated women. Jesus elevated people with disabilities. Wow. When there was crowds, Jesus, it's like he looked for the people that everyone else was leaving out. And that's who he spoke to. When the story is told in the Bible, everyone else is just the crowd. And the one that we know about is the one with the messy situation, the one with the broken situation. Do you know that you and I, we've never met a person who Jesus does not love? We've never met a person who Jesus did not die for. 
whatever the situation is that you are thinking about this morning, what does mercy demand? What does mercy demand? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close our time together. I believe God is speaking to hearts in this place today. And if there's anyone in this room, you're, you're wrestling with a situation where you're not sure if you should get involved in the first place, you're not sure if you should stay involved, you're not sure if you should get involved at a greater level, you're wrestling with this very question, what does mercy demand? And it's been confusing, it's been divisive, maybe there have even been arguments in your household about responding or not responding. If you are dealing with a situation that fits any way, I wanna pray for you today. In just a minute, the worship team is gonna begin to play and I wanna pray for you and I want you to come down to this altar. If you are wrestling with how should we respond, should we respond, should I go back because I don't like the way I responded before, I want you to, you can begin to come right now to step out of your, out of your row, in the balcony and the row, and I want you to, I wanna pray for you as the worship team begins to, to play. Father, we love you. We say thank you for challenging us today through this parable that many of us have known since we were children. Yet today I believe you have shed new light on the parable of the Good Samaritan, that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would make a despised Samaritan the hero of the story, that you have challenged us, God. Whatever definition we may have come up with of neighbor in our own mind, that you have challenged us that a neighbor is truly any person who has the potential to receive our kindness. Father, you know that there are situations that are represented in this church today. And they're deep and they're complex and even confusing or divisive, but you are saying, you're asking us, what does mercy demand? I believe, Father, that you're going to bring clarity today. As the worship team begins to sing, if you want prayer over whatever it is that you're thinking about, join these friends who are at the altar. Come down, and I'm going to pray for you that God is going to bring clarity and wisdom to whatever it is that you are wondering about. Perfect. 